This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to the Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys, and I have a special guest on the line today. It's Dr. Michael Gillen. How you doing? Oh, just fine, Billy. It's so good to be able to talk with you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, look, I, I'm excited to talk with you because I love the topics that you are dealing with and the fact that you have this this new book, Amazing Truths, How Science and the Bible Agree. Um, and I think, you know, for me, this is just an area of interest. I've been a Christian my whole life. And so personally, it's an area of interest. I think, you know, professionally, as somebody who covers faith and religion quite a bit, this is a topic that comes up all the time, this notion of yeah. science and religion being totally disconnected from one another, that you can't exist in both worlds and believe in both, um, that keeps getting perpetuated. And so I guess I wanted to first ask you, why do you think so many people feel compelled and forced to decide between science or the Bible? You know, that's, I think that's right on with that question. Uh, this, this notion, this misperception, this gross misperception, that somehow we are the children of a bitter divorce between, the, uh, between science and the Bible, and that therefore we have to choose between parents, as it were, uh, is something that has happened just within my lifetime. Because when I think back to when I was a kid, uh, this really, this misperception didn't exist. And so your question is, you know, how did this come about? And I think it's just, it's been a gradual process where we have become uh, kind of enamored of science. Uh, that's number, there, 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 there's no one answer, so I'm going to try to be as thorough as I can. But I think, first of all, science has kind of stolen the headlines. Within my lifetime, you know, with space program, we landed a man on the moon. Wow, that was awesome. And now it's all about, you know, building, uh, having computers that can can just do just about anything, and that's another big wow. And, and then now you just have to crack open the headlines, and, you know, there's talk now about brain transplants, and there's talk about, you know, creating babies with three parents, and science has just stolen the headlines, and so people have just kind of embraced science. That's one part of the answer. The other part is that there have been uh, atheists, uh, the so-called new atheists, that have kind of seized on that love affair with science, and it really twisted people's understanding of the situation by saying to them, look, you know, you can't love science and the Bible. See, science is cutting edge. Look at what science is it, It's taking us into the future. It's doing all these wonderful things. The Bible on the end is this old, stale book. It's talking about things that happened thousands of years ago. And I really believe that over the years, that, that message has been very effective at poisoning people's uh, uh, mind about uh, science and the Bible. The fact is... Science and the Bible have a very strong marriage, believe it or not, and that's going to sound astonishing to your listeners, but this book that I've written, Amazing Truths, is all about documenting the fact that these two great entities, science and the Bible, agree on at least, I, I picked ten, I could have picked more, but ten fundamental truths. And Billy, these are not superficial, tiny, teeny, weeny little truths. These are ten big fundamental truths that both science and the Bible agree on. Yeah, I think that's really fascinating when you start to get into the into the uh, details of okay, well, where where are the values that align in these two arenas? And 
Yeah, I think back to obviously evolution is one of the things that seems to divide people the most, and I've always been fascinated by that debate. And you have many Christians who have, who have no problem with believing in evolution at all, and and no and no problem with believing in the Bible, and then you have some who who are still unsure of where they stand on it. But that seems to be one of the biggest sort of splinters on on that issue. Um, you know, what have you noticed surrounding that debate? And I know one big thing, obviously, has been. There was the uh, the Ken Ham and the Bill Nye debate a year or two ago that really got a lot of attention, um, partially because of that of that issue. I think you know the, the creationist sort of science narrative. Um, but what do you think about that debate? Well, you know, it, it is one evolution is certainly one of the things that uh, has gotten an awful lot of publicity and that feeds this misperception that somehow science and the Bible are hopelessly at odds, and therefore we have to choose between the two. The fact is it's not true. Look, um, let, let me put it this way. Let me use again, let's pursue this analogy of marriage. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 24 years. Uh, we have a strong, solid marriage. Do we have disagreements? Of course we do. Billy, if you're married, you know what it's like. Oh, it's yes. hard. It's yes. hard not to live with somebody 24-7 <laughs> and not have disagreements. Sometimes exactly. Some of the disagreements are real doozies sometimes. And maybe, you know, in, in, the, in our 24 years, there have been times when uh, maybe our marriage has been on the brink because something has happened to us. Uh, we were battling infertility, and that took us to the brink and so forth. So there, so this notion, when I say science and the Bible have a strong marriage, I don't mean to imply that they don't have disagreements. They do, and evolution is one of them. Uh, there appears to be a disagreement between science and the Bible about this. But when you look more fundamentally, and I talk about uh, this in the book, among other things, um, you realize that there, there is a fundamental um, uh, agreement. Uh, if you look at the evolution debate in detail, what is that all about? It, it's all about whether, um, uh, depending on whether you look at microevolution or macroevolution or, or really radical Darwinism, uh, and, you know, we don't have time to get into the details, but basically that argument is all about what role did um, uh, uh, natural selection uh, play in, uh, in life on Earth. Uh, it involves a, a, an argument about time scales and so forth, and uh, here, here's one of the things that I wish to say with regard to that debate, because I, I, don't, I don't really uh, get my underwear in a bunch about this. This is not, I, I see this ultimately as a, as a real superficial debate. It's not fundamental uh, to the relationship between science and the Bible. Here, here is something that people need to, to, to think about, and that is, both science and the Bible agree uh, that it is an absolute truth that time and space are relative. Uh, Einstein, when he was first starting to uh, promulgate the special theory of relativity, that would have been back in 1905, and the newspapers were after him about, well, can you explain to us what does it mean uh, for time and space to be relative? He said, look, look at it this way. If you put your hand on a hot stove uh, one second, will seem like uh, a thousand years because it's just so hot and hurts. He said, on the other hand, if you spend, let's say, uh, an hour with somebody you really love, the time will go by fast, it'll seem like a second. And what's interesting is that very concept, that same concept that time and space are relative is echoed in the Bible. If you look, for example, at Second Peter 3.8, it says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Well, that's what Einstein was talking about. So very much at the bottom of this uh, debate, evolution, Ham and Bill Nye, and uh, this is a debate that gets so much airplay and it feeds in this misperception. 
has to do with, first of all, how old the Earth is, how old is the universe. So it, it, we need to keep in mind that both science and the Bible agree that time is relative. Uh, the other thing is whether evolution played a, a minor role, a middle-sized role, or a king-sized role in evolution. I mean, I think that's a, that's a legitimate disagreement right now uh, between scientists and and, um, and, and others, not just even people who believe in the Bible, but just others. Um, we have to keep in mind that science is fluid, and I talk a lot about that in this book. Uh, what do I mean by that? And, and, it, and it bears exactly on this whole debate over evolution. It's because there have been many times in, in, in the history of science when scientists have been kind of all in, in for a theory. Um, for example, there was the phlogiston theory, and, and again, I talk about this in the book. Uh, this was a theory to try to explain flammability, why some materials are flammable and others are not. There was the ether theory, which tried to explain the behavior of space and time. This was before Einstein's special theory of relativity. And then there was a the steady-state theory, which attempted to explain the origins and the, and the maintenance of the, of the universe. And these were all what I call all-in theories. I mean, these were theories that had the same status as the theory of evolution does today. In other words, if you just polled most scientists of that time, they would say, absolutely, the phlogiston theory is, uh, is indisputable, everything is settled, we understand. Same with ether theory, same with steady-state theory. Well, guess what? Uh, given enough time, uh, scientists discovered evidence, hmm, maybe we weren't so, uh, entirely right, you know, and, and they reevaluated, and, and those theories uh, went away and were replaced with something quite different. Um, what I'm suggesting here is that even the theory of evolution, as established as it seems, and there is a great deal of evidence in favor of microevolution, for example, I think that's just something the good Lord built into the, uh, into the universe to keep it uh, to keep it viable, to keep it alive. If things change, things are always changing. Life evolves. Right. You and I evolve. Right. You know, you're not the same age you were 10 years ago. Um, so what I'm suggesting here uh, with regard to the debate uh, about evolution is that when you look deeper uh, beyond just the rhetoric and beyond the shouting, you'll find that science and the Bible are very much in agreement, Billy. Yeah, no, it seems that way. And I think part of the problem with macroevolution is that it's used so often as a way to try to disprove religion. And that, and I think that's what creates part of the, I guess, the, the fighting on the behalf of Christians and others, as you said, not just Christians, who say, no, 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 you can't be using that theory to try to disprove the Bible. That's not right. And so you ha instead of just talking about the theory, let's say, you end up sort of using the theory, people like Richard Dawkins and others, to, to almost dismiss religion, which I, which I think you know, ups the ante on that, on that battle a little bit, which is kind of interesting. Um, well, well, it is, and it is. And, and one thing needs to be made very, very clear, and that is when it comes to the issue of God and the existence of God, science is neutral. That is to say, it can never prove or disprove the existence of God. Now, there are uh, atheists like Dawkins and others who have attempted to spin science and to attempt to pass along the, uh, the misinformation that somehow science i.e. evolution, whether it's evolution or the Big Bang Theory or whatever it is that you want to name, they're attempting to make people believe that these are things that are proof now, scientific proof that God is, uh, doesn't exist, isn't necessary, etc. But that is simply not true. What is the most compelling um, similarity or piece of evidence uh, in your mind that convinces you more than anything else, and this is kind of a loaded, tough question, but that <laughs> science and the Bible are compatible? 
Gee, you know, for me, I'll t- all ten of them. I'm not trying to cop out. It's a good question, and I'll give you an answer. But but I, I just have to say all ten. When you look at how these ten truths are agreed upon by science of the Bible, you cannot come away uh, without feeling like, wow, there, there has to be something to this. Um, but I, I think, you know, the first truth that I talk about in the book is, is, the, is the belief that in the existence of absolute truth, that is to say both science and the Bible agree that uh, absolute truth, absolute right and wrong exists. Now, that's a pretty big deal right off the bat, because in today's postmodern world, as you know, Billy, uh, there, you know, there's a very popular notion that uh, truth is relative, this notion that, hey, your truth is not necessarily my truth, but you're okay and I'm okay and, you know, and so forth. Uh, this notion, this wishy-washy notion that somehow truth is is like one of the, you know, Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors, just pick your pick your truth and you'll be fine, right? There's no, right. there's no arbiter, there's no ultimate arbiter, there's no absolute truth. Well, guess what? Uh, you may want to believe that, but you will then stand against both science and the Bible, because both science and the Bible are very strident, are very adamant about believing that there is absolute truth. And the example that I love to give is this. Suppose you and I are on the top of a very tall building. God forbid we would decide to jump off. But if we do, then what science says, never mind the Bible for a moment, what science says is that you and I will, will fall at exactly the same acceleration, 32 feet per second per second, okay? Uh, so in other words, there isn't a gravitational truth for Billy and another gravitational truth for Michael. We, uh, science believes, this is science, science believes that there is one gravitational truth that is universal throughout the universe, all right? Now look at what the Bible has to say about truth. Well, it says exactly the same thing. It says there is no one God for you and one God for me. There is one God in the universe, and it is an absolute truth that he exists. So here, right off the bat, is this astonishing, really astonishing um, agreement between science, these so, you know, supposed uh, enemies, these supposed opposites. Right off the bat, they agree that absolute truth exists. Um, and I just find that amazing. That certainly helps cement my faith um, in 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 the Bible. But then I go on and I and I and I explicate nine other truths. Uh, so, for example, uh, just take one that you might not suspect: that time is linear. Okay, both science and the Bible agree that time is linear. Now, that may seem esoteric, but it is not. When you look at it carefully, it turns out that. Uh, many, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism and many other uh, Eastern religions, they believe that time is circular. And so it is completely at odds with science and the Bible. Those, those religions are. Uh, the, what, what, so, so why does that matter? It, has, <laughs> it matters a great deal. When, when we look at uh, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and their belief in circular time, uh, there is this belief that uh, you and I could live many lives, and maybe during one life you're a rock, and maybe in another life you're a scorpion, maybe in another life you're a goat, um, uh, and maybe if you get lucky you're a human. Um, so in, in, in that view, in, that, in, that, in, in those religions which believe in circular time, uh, you can be anything, uh, not necessarily just human. You are the product of your karma. Now, look at what science and the Bible say about this subject. Science and the Bible agree that time is linear. It's not circular. 
Uh, and, and that has huge implications because what it says on, on the Bible side is that we are not the product of our karma, we are the product of a creator, and that we are at no point in our history anything less than human. We are human from beginning to end and beyond. And that is huge in its implications. So here's, yet, you know, and, and you know, I spent an entire, I'm, I'm, I'm abbreviating, I'm summarizing, uh, I go into a, a, a whole chapter on that. And, and, and there are eight other truths like that, so that by the end of it, if you're a believer, I really think that uh, your faith will be cemented when you've read this book. And, you, and I think you will be very surprised by some of the truths that I've discovered uh, that the science and the Bible agree on. Yeah, and if I mean, you're not a believer, they, even if you're a Richard Dawkins or somebody like that, if you're at all intellectually honest with yourself, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged to, to explain why these so-called enemies— uh, are so much in agreement with one another. And, and that is why we call the book Amazing Truths, because I think there's, that's, that's an appropriate word. These are truly amazing revelations that both science and the Bible agree on. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's great. And, and the ones that you mentioned are fascinating. I mean, it does make you really think um, a little deeper on it, because we live in a culture where anything sort of goes, and I think it's got, the last couple of years, it's, it's sort of, I think that's expedited a little bit of, okay, well, however you want to live, you live. And, and which is fine, that's one thing, but now we have to all say that everything is sort of okay, and if you don't say it's okay, then you're a bad person. Um, but yeah, then, <laughs> it's part of our designer culture, right, Billy? Right. I mean, we get to design everything from, from our desktop on the computer to, you know, sneakers. I mean, when you and I, uh, I don't know how old you are, but I know when I was a kid, you, you, know, you bought sneakers. You went to the store, and you, today my kid, I have a 16-year-old, he can go online and he can design his own sneakers. Well, you know, now the society is even designing its own truth. You know, just design your own truth, and you'll be, as long as you're a good person and you don't bother anybody, you have your own truth and you're okay, and there's no distinguishing among the truths. Again, it's like the Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors. Truth is just another flavor ice cream. Well, here, science and the Bible are on the same side, and they're saying that is just garbage. Yeah, and that, that's I think pretty that's amazing. fascinating. <laughs> that is the most compelling. I, think. I mean, there is nothing more compelling than the absolute truth piece. And I, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that's great. Now, we just have a couple of minutes here. I wanted to ask you, how long have you been um, a Christian, and, and was there any point in your life where maybe you struggled to see the difference or you struggle to see the, um, I guess, allegiance between science and faith. You know, I was born in East Los Angeles. That's the poor part of uh, Los Angeles. And um, I, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, uh, but from the second grade on, I had this passion for science. And that passion took me from East L.A. to UCLA, where I got my bachelor's in math and physics, and then on to Cornell, where I got the equivalent of three PhDs in physics, math, and astronomy, and then ultimately to Harvard, where I taught physics and math there for about eight years. And what's interesting in that journey is that by the time I got to Cornell, um, I, God was just not even part of my life. I mean, it, it, science was it. I, I met a girl at Cornell, for example, just to give you an example of how how devoted I was to science. And, and, and in those days, I was much younger, and I probably slept about three hours uh, a night, and then the other 23 hours I spent in the lab, the lab of nuclear studies at Cornell. Okay? I met this girl, and as, as the relationship got a little more serious, I remember telling her straight out, face-to-face, -face, Billy, I said to her, you know, 
Laurel, she ended up being my wife. Uh, I said, if this relationship ever gets serious and we get married, I said, you're gonna, you have to understand science is always going to be number one in my life. You're going to be at best number two. I can't believe I said that to her, but I did. <laughs> and I can't believe she ended up marrying me. But God wasn't even on that list uh, of things to do. Here's what happened, though. As I was studying, because I went into Cornell thinking I wanted to become high-energy physicist, which means you're studying subatomic particles, studying the universe at the smallest scales. But as I, as I went further in my studies, I realized I, thought, I became very interested in galaxies and clusters of galaxies and superclusters. And so uh, that's how I ended up getting the equivalent of three PhDs. So I found myself studying the universe at the smallest scales and the largest scales. And what I discovered was there's this incredible beauty and order to the universe at all levels. So if I wanted to believe that this all happened by chance, I was being forced to believe that the universe not, it won the lottery not just once, but a million times over. At every level, it won the lottery because there was beauty and order unique to that level of the universe. And so uh, the only uh, uh, answer that science was providing me, no, no, it was all by chance, by chance, and it just didn't it just didn't sound right to me. It wasn't intellectually satisfying. Never mind spiritual for the moment. I'm talking about a thoroughly intellectual person. I was an intellectual through and through. And, and it, just, it just didn't ring true. And it's like, this is ridiculous. So at that time, Carl Sagan was becoming very popular at Cornell. He was in the Johnny Carson show, et cetera, et cetera. And he was always quoting the Vedas. And so I started a, a, a journey to find answers other than, you know, this was all just a big accident. And so I studied the Hindu literature, and I studied the Buddhist literature of Buddhism, and uh, my thesis advisor was Jewish, and so he would take me to Shabbat services on Friday night, and I started uh, reading the Torah and the Midrash, all the commentary and so forth. When I met Laurel, she and I started reading the Bible together, and it was the first time really that I had cracked open the Bible and taken it seriously and looked at it through adult, well-educated eyes. And I tell you, Billy, it was unbelievable. When I finished the Old Testament, to this day I still remember, and went to the, the New Testament, it was like a light went on. It was like literally somebody came in and switched on the lights. And, and it just enthralled me to discover here, and, and I didn't find this in any other religions that I had studied. Because I never do anything halfway. I do everything thoroughly. And, and I had never heard God described the way he was being described in the New Testament, that this was a God of love, and he wasn't out to get us, and that heaven wasn't to be earned the way it is in so many religions, including Judaism, that heaven was open to anybody who accepted it, you know, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. I mean, this was mind-blowing stuff, even though I, you know, I've been learn, learning about virtual time and Big Bang Theory and, and a vac quantum vacuum and all that, and it was just like, whoa, what is this? And that began my Christian journey and so in many ways, ironically, it was science that brought me to my knees and, and, and really started me on this journey of exploration, of finding uh, answers that were intellectually and spiritually satisfying. So this book I've written is really just sharing with people. I'm not out to try to convert anybody. I'm just sharing a lifetime of serious-minded exploration with other people, hoping that it will help them on their journey. Well, listen, this has been great, and we, we have to have you back on the show. There's a million other things to talk about, so you have to, <laughs> to come back. 
Well, Billy, this is a joy. Thank you so much for having me on. This is I, I could talk about this all day. It's where the action is right now, in my opinion. Absolutely. And, and it's a necessity to be talking about. So we're going to make sure we have you back, and we appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Billy. God bless you. I look forward to the next time. Church Bowl.